Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to Bloody Mary Bible Brunch Christmas Edition. Uh, this is uh, amateur theologian Jim Barton, and I'm here with Reverend Abigail Conley to talk about uh, the Christmas story and to talk about uh, what Jesus uh, means to us as an outshoot of that. Um, so with that, I'm going to go ahead and um, just jump right into things and let uh, Abby tell you uh, one of the Christmas stories that you find in the Bible. So only two gospel writers actually tell us anything about the nativity of Jesus, Matthew and Luke. And they get mashed together well in all of the nice little scenes you see around this time of year. Matthew, though, has a much different focus and doesn't really care about the infancy of Jesus in the same way, and especially not the precursor. He's the one who gives an extensive genealogy of Jesus, um, one that includes women, which is notable. But after that, it's all about Joseph. It's Joseph's lineage. It's Joseph's role. It's Joseph who might divorce Mary because of this. And then he kind of skips ahead until there are three kings coming from the east, three wise men, three magi, who knows. And the three, of course, is because they came bearing gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And who knows how many of them there actually were. Maybe they just pulled the gifts and there were actually nine or ten of them. Who knows? But that's where we get the three. Um, and that's kind of it in Matthew. Then he jumps ahead to the life of Jesus very quickly. And that's all that there's the infancy. He's also the only one who tells us about Jesus as a refugee. So after the kings come and visit, then they don't tell King Herod where the baby is because he has just made a decree, or will make a decree, that all children age two and under will be killed because he's being threatened by this. So that's when Joseph takes his wife, Mary, and Joseph, and baby Jesus and flees to Egypt, probably when Jesus was about two years old. And then when they come back, where do they stop? They don't go back to Bethlehem. Right. So that's how they end up in Nazareth. And both the prophecies are fulfilled. Because Matthew is also very worried about making sure it ties into the Old Testament in some way. So in Matthew, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. But when Jesus starts his ministry, he's coming out of Nazareth. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing that the story in Luke shares with the story in Matthew. Which is that Jesus is born in Bethlehem. And when he starts his ministry, he comes out of Nazareth. Right. Because in Luke, who, in my, my estimation, the author of Luke is much more about how Jesus is the savior of the poor. Jesus is the, to me, Luke is the social justice uh, writer who cares about, cares about women, cares about the poor. And so in the, the Gospel of Luke, thank you. Um, in the Gospel of Luke, they start out in, uh, in Nazareth. Thank you. And... Um, there's this uh, census, and that means they have to go back to Bethlehem. No census in Matthew, but in Luke there is a census because you got to get Jesus born in Bethlehem, city of David. Right. So down he goes. Um, there's the donkey. There's the traveling. There's the very pregnant Mary. This is the inn. There's no room in the inn, right? So they're born out in humble settings. The people who come visit Jesus, according to Luke, are not um, hotshot kings from the east or big wise men. That people come to visit Jesus are the um, uh, shepherds, right? Mm -hmm. the people, and they come and they stand around, and that's 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 our manger scene, right? Is from these poor people coming to visit Jesus, the shepherds coming to visit Jesus, right? Then they do the right things you're supposed to do in the temple, and then they head back to Nazareth. No right. execution of a bunch of babies, right? No going down to Egypt. They just do the ordinary things. So 
Luke's gospel tells us very much a story, in my, in my impression, of um, somebody who came here for the ordinary people. The other thing that I think is needs to be noted about the Luke story is that all of the divine mattering comes in the Annunciation of Jesus' birth. So there is an angel who visits Mary and says, hey, this is going to happen. There is an angel talking to Zechariah, or Zechariah making a prophetic proclamation about the son that has been born. There are all these things leading up to it, but not the after. This is the proclamation before. This thing is coming. Right. And this person is coming that will change. But yeah, Luke is totally, my Old Testament professor and undergrad called it the great equalizing gospel. And a feminist. Uh-huh. Because Luke, uh, the angel doesn't talk to Joseph, the angel talks to Mary. Right. And then Mary goes to visit who? She goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. And then the baby and Elizabeth jumps and recognizes all about the ladies mm-hmm. in, in Luke. Okay. And then in Mark, there's no story. You no. start with the baptism. Right. And then in John... In we the beginning, with, there was the word. Right. And that's a whole other Greek philosophy conversation. And as I think that we've talked about a lot, in my opinion, these two stories um, were included for a reason. Mm-hmm. They have different, they tell you different things about who Jesus was. And frankly, I, I think it's a Gospel of Luke, right, that starts with something like, you've heard other people say us, but I'm going to set the record straight. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the real, I'm telling you the real deal. It sort right. of suggests right in the conversation of the books there's a notion of conflict yeah there totally is and i mean there are all of those stories about jesus that didn't make the canon and i think that's where that conversation comes in the ones that make the canon were decided upon as somehow these are legitimate and these are telling stories of jesus that reflect our experience and the memory of our community Whereas when you get the infancy gospels and narratives told in the gospels that didn't make it into our official bible um you get the stories of Jesus as a jerk you didn't want to play with. Jesus who might smite class playmates. Um, all of those kinds of things that, yeah, there are competing stories. And both of them made it in the canon. And all the Gospels were written essentially after all of the letters. Right. So in the letters, which were written first mostly by Paul or by Paul's school right mm-hmm. um, and maybe can you explain just a little bit about that about what we know about who wrote the letter so there's all the, you know the letters to Galatians to Romans to Philippians etc and so on can you just talk explain a little bit about who wrote those and why we know who wrote them a little bit so part of that has to do with continuing evidence that's being found so some of the letters are early enough that, yes, they could have been written by Paul. Some of them are later enough addressing issues that we know weren't happening right away. Um, that means they had to be later. So there is the idea of a Pauline school, that somebody was then studying under Paul and being taught by Paul. And in the ancient world, it's not plagiarism or a bad thing to say, oh, I wrote this, but it's actually by Paul. It's actually like saying, oh, this is my great, wonderful teacher, and so this is by Paul as well. And it's a very different system than ours is. It'd be like if the Federalist Society today signed an a, a editorial Thomas Jefferson. Right. Saying, and that would be, it would be like, yeah, that's what their point is. We are in line with Thomas Jefferson. Right. And they're not saying, they're not just crazy thinking they are Thomas Jefferson. Right. Like that's kind of the difference that very much doesn't fit into our modern world as well. And then the other thing is, you know, we're digging up new stuff, or archaeologists, not we per se, are digging up new stuff all the time. 
So Ephesians was a circular letter, and you can put anything in there. And it was just so happens that the piece pulled for the canon was to the church at Ephesus. But it's kind of this broad letter that can go to any churches because they were just sending them around to all the different sorts of churches. And so, who is Jesus to Paul, and who is Jesus to Peter? Do you think? Do we? Can we? Can we pull that out from the letters? Um, I think Paul. Paul is much more convinced of Jesus' divinity than others are and Savior of the world, which makes sense as he tells the story. I stopped on the road to Damascus. There was a light from heaven. Um, So that's where you get this idea that Jesus is imminently returning. Those are all Pauline thoughts, that this is Jesus and coming back Lord of all. Um, In a very different way, Peter, Peter, I think, was wrestling much more with what it means to bring Gentiles into the church. Mm -hmm. And that looks very different of creating this community, wrestling with you have to be circumcised, all of these things. Um, They're just a radically different view. The thing that I think does matter is that his Jesus was more inclusive than Paul's. Mm -hmm. I think Paul tends to draw the lines around who's out much more than Mm -hmm. Peter does. And so Peter's visions aren't of, this is my claim to who I am. Peter's is, oh, I can eat whatever. I don't have to keep kosher anymore. Um, So very different ideas of who's in and who's out of community. So with all that, we've got um, what we learn from reading the Bible. We have what we feel about the presence of Jesus from our practice, our spiritual practice in church. Um, we do have the Christmas stories. So um, we're going to celebrate Christmas in a few days, which is the coming of Jesus into the world. And who is, who's coming for you? For you, you personally, who's coming? For me personally. Oh, I didn't know the for me personally who's coming at Christmas. Well, all right. I, I, <laughs> I'll, I'll do mine, and then okay. you can respond to it. Okay. For me, I'm sorry about that. For me, um, the, the who's coming at Christmas is... Um, we're celebrating um, first and foremost a a, a visionary uh, leader, prophet, teacher who had such a profound impact on those who knew him that they were changed by him, and they kept a a core transformation that they. Um, thank you very much. Thank you. That, that that they passed on to other people, and so much so that like I think about. Um, th- there are people that I know in the contemporary world that are, are such larger-than-life characters that they are connected with people who have never met them. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the sort of connection has sort of rolled on. So I think that's that, to me, is part of who Jesus, who Jesus is. And I think that I am compelled by this idea that um, Jesus is someone who was executed for his revolutionary ideas, which I think had to be social revolutionary ideas, and that execution was unsuccessful in stopping that movement and so I think that the that it is to identify Jesus as a special person who is so connected to God in such a real way that to call him divine is not an overreach that it's that it's even though as I think is makes sense from today's conversation like virgin birth doesn't make a lot of sense there's two totally different versions of the story a lot nobody a lot of people don't write about it like mechanical virgin birth right is uninteresting to me. 
but to celebrate Jesus as a special person who I actually I don't know that I think it's a reach to say that I have a personal connection with this person who lived 2,000 years ago because Jesus' power to transform moving across generations was so profound that it's, it seems legitimate. Now, of course, most of that is transmitted through practice of the followers now, right? I mean, I don't have a, I don't have a line, lifeline back necessarily to that historical person, but I think that that's the sort of notion of the post-resurrection Jesus that remains present. And then I think that's what we celebrate coming at Christmas when um, we get together as modern Christians. So I actually, for, for this purpose... Whether or not I believe Jesus was, like, God-made flesh, like, literally incarnation, is, is a topic for another day. But that claim does enough for me that I think it's a wonderful conversation to have. Because if, indeed, God did become human, if God dwelled among us in some way, I believe that blesses our existence, our mortal life, in a very different way. It's not God distance, it's God near to us and like us. So that changes what it means to be human. And it changes not only our interactions with each other, which I think you get a lot from Jesus' teachings, but even the fact that I can look at you and say, you too bear the image of God. Mm. That I can look at the messiness of human life around us and say, even this wasn't beyond God. So, um, yeah, it's a very different thing. This past week I walked into the home of a very poor person and it was a very well-kept home a very clean home but just the fact of too many people living in too many in one in too small of a place so five people in a home that should have two people in it and you see that kind of poverty and that kind of struggle and still somehow god walked in that and called that holy that to me matters a lot for how we treat each other and how we view this life as holy and right now. It's not about later. Um, and the teachings and all those things only amplify that. But I think there is salvation even in the fact that, okay, what you're doing right now, childbirth and all of its messiness even, God is in that. And that matters to me. Okay. God in the messiness. Mm-hmm. All right. Very good. Well, I think um, that's going to wrap things up for us today. And... Um, we are going to talk um, next time um, about salvation. So that was a that's a good note to close on. Um, and uh, Merry Christmas, everybody! And until next time, cheers.